This episode contains a frank discussion of self-harm. Listener discretion is advised. To be in service, but not be a doormat, you know, and the um, the quasi-Buddhist saying that I used to have up at my old desk was, do mm. no harm, but take no shit. Oh. <laughs> you, you know, it's just like that kind of attitude of like, yes, I'm here to help, but if you are a little more than, or if you're taking more than what I have yeah. to freely offer, then we need to stop, right? right. I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lane. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. <laughs> Still, every time I see that, I go, what? Uh, recently, we both discovered we had the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. This podcast is a platform for adults to share their stories of discovering neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. Being empathetic too is just like, yep. fuck. You just We just feel things. I'm glad that we can talk about this stuff, you know? Yeah, there was... Um, there was actually something I meant to bring up, but that was like four sentences, no, probably four paragraphs ago. And of course I made a mental note of it, but not a physical one. So I forgot mm. to follow up now, but it was, um, hmm. Something yeah. to do with RSD or, um, oh, just the economy maybe? No, it wasn't either of those things. I feel like it was something to do specifically with Vancouver. Um, but I don't, mm. yeah. Anyway, it's not important. Um, okay. yeah. So RSD, what does that mean, Robbie? Rejection sensitive sensitivity dysphoria, right? I'm never sure if it's sensitive or sensitivity. I I feel like it's sensitivity, mm. um, but let's figure that out. Uh, no, it's it's also record store day, which is probably what I'm going to get on this Google here. Oh no, it is rejection sensitive dysphoria. So uh-huh. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So. It is an extreme emotional sensitivity and pain triggered by the perception that a person has been rejected or criticized by important people in their life. It may also be triggered by a sense of falling short, failing to meet their own high standards or others' expectations. That sound like anyone you know? (laughs) Oh my goodness, right? Like every day, always. Like all the times that I felt, you know that feeling like when your stomach kind of falls away? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so many times in my life I've felt that. And sometimes it was, it was, it was, um, because of like, it was real. Like I was about to be lose a job or something like that. But a lot of the times it would happen. Um, and the other side of that equation or the other person involved in that didn't even have close to the same intention as to what I perceived. Right. Right. Um, and, I, I come across it in my relationships. Even sometimes my partner will say the most innocuous thing and I go into a fucking spiral about it. And it's like, what is that even about? That's not even what I said. Right. Yep. So um, it happens. Yeah. It's been happening all my life, I think. Uh, and now that I have kind of a name for it, it, it helps me to create more space around it, but it still happens. So did you, did you hear a lot of the same messages that I did as a kid about how overly sensitive you were and how you're so sensitive and how, why do you have to be so damn sensitive all the time? And how come you can't take a joke and just, Mm -hmm. just chill out, stop being so sensitive. Come on. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're just kidding. Um, or even my own family would say, you know, you're, you're you're way, you're taking this way too seriously. Let it go. 
or um, at some points I would even be called selfish because I would be crying in a restaurant or something where it was inappropriate to do sure. that. Just because of some sidelong comment that a half sibling of mine had made that really they didn't mean anything by it, but it would just like send me into this thing. Right. And then what's really interesting about that is in a family like mine, and I don't know about yours, but we talked about this a little bit in episode one, but where there's mm-hmm. multiple undiagnosed family members involved, what I'm realizing is like, I'm, I'm starting to reflect on a lot of my own family dynamics and um, particularly that piece there about um, rejected or criticized by important people in their life. So that's something where, um, yeah, so so that, that that's something where like, I always, of course, was a super sensitive child and really feeling like uh, attacked by any sort of criticism or correction and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, what I'm kind of recognizing though, is that like, so a, I wasn't in fact an overly sensitive kid. I really did feel this stuff harder and there's a neurological reason for that. So that was really interesting to kind of get Mm. that perspective of like, Oh, like just because this stuff doesn't affect other people to the same degree or in the same way that it does you doesn't mean that your experience isn't valid or that like the pain or rejection or whatever that you felt wasn't real. And I think that, yeah, especially with that family member stuff. um, And that's, that's one where, you know, just, just kind of like in the relationship that I have with my dad, it's way, way, way better now and has been since I was a teenager. But um, that was something where, he would always kind of like tease me about stuff or things like that. And then I would take it too personally and Mm. then say something that would hurt him. And then he would get super, you know, huffy puffy about that and take that (laughs) shit way too personally. And it was just kind of like this kind of spiral. And again, that's something where I recognize a lot of that stuff in my dad now of like seeing these kinds of like him just getting way too worked up about really small things. Like, like, he would, he was, had this like hyper competitivity about board games and stuff. And he was really mad when like, you know, we would call bullshit on his answers in like categories or whatever. And (laughs) it's like, no, 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 this is a real thing. And like, you just don't know TV from the 1960s. And it's like, we didn't have Wikipedia back then to argue about this shit. Right. So, (laughs) um, so anyway, but it's, it's just funny though, to kind of like see all these things that I didn't, understand not only about myself, but about my dad and about how some of the family relationships go as like, oh yeah, well, we're all way too fucking sensitive. And we're also Mm. all probably looking to start fights to some degree to get that dopamine like AJ was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with, with my family scenario, I, I more or less belong to three families, but one. Mm. So, um, I have, um, you know, my older brother and sister from my parents' first marriage, they divorced when I was between three and four years old, I think. Um, and then uh, they split up. So I was with uh, my dad and my and his second wife uh, for a few years, and she left. And then my mom, well, my mom remarried before that. It sounds quite complicated. I <laughs> hope folks can keep up with this. But um, And so uh, I have two half-brothers from... Uh, my mom's second marriage. So I went from being the youngest in uh, one family dynamic and then moving into another family dynamic while I was expected to be the oldest. So um, I didn't have the toolkit at all uh, to deal with that. And and with undiagnosed ADHD, I was incredibly sensitive too. And I often felt so left out of the family, even though we were all in the same house and going through the same situations together. And I honestly think my mother did her best in that. Um, But it, 
Yeah, I think sometimes I would. Sometimes I would I would call it like a volcanic uh, rage would happen. I would go from like sullen sulking and withdrawing uh, to really getting angry um, about things that I had no control over, which is something that, I mean, is really frustrating anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I also have another half-brother and sister from my dad's third marriage, but they are uh, 20 years younger than me. So our relationship is, um, I have a really great relationship with uh, with my half-sister Liz. As you know, I was helping her with her grad school applications. Um, and I'm always really happy when I say Bill, my other um, half-brother. But it, it's been difficult for me, and I didn't even realize like that this is a thing with ADHD, is how much we like to have like a little bit of um, structure and predictability in order to feel safe and connected. Um, but that's not something I ever had in my family growing up because I, I moved around from, from family to family. And sometimes there would be a big blowout about something. And then I would go back to live with the other parent. And, and you know, like I was talking about 12 different schools. So um, I think that um, there's, there is definitely a possibility um, that at least one of my parents um, has ADHD. We're talking about that. And one of my siblings is getting tested for it, one of my half-siblings. Um, my older brother um, has been in the health, mental health system in Alberta for many, many years. Um, and that's like something I would talk about uh, separately because I get kind of enraged when I think about how he's been treated. Um, but so his issues are different than my older sister. Do you remember Katimovic? I don't know if you ever heard of Katimovic. Um, Katimovic was a program. And in fact, Justin Trudeau ended up championing it a few years ago, but it was a program that used to be nationwide. And if you were between 17 and 19 years old, you could join this program and you would live in three different places across Canada and you would learn French as part of it. And you would build literally be building the places where you were living and you would learn all these skills. And so my oldest sister went to Katimovic when she was 17, met her husband and just never looked back. And so uh, she and I were never able to really bond in a way that some kids are able to. And so I don't really know if ADHD is part of her story or not. It's something, I mean, we do see each other when I'm in Montreal, you know, we try to connect. Um, But I think it's really interesting that I've been reading that it seems to kind of go across siblings too. Um, so, cause my mom was like, well, how, like, if I'm not responsible for this, like, wait a minute, like, but, and then you think you, somebody like, so we're all like, what's going on, <laughs> you know, like, is it so, uh, yeah, the family dynamic thing is, uh, I'm still processing so much of that cause it's yeah. a lot, um, a lot of the things that maybe I thought of as being, um, that I was being selfish or maladapted, I think may have been more related to ADHD than yeah. anything else. Yeah. So speaking of the, like. I'm curious about the rage aspect that you talked about there, because that's definitely something that I experienced too. Um, and mm. at least for me, it's always very self-directed. It's never, um, you know, like me yelling at people or like threatening violence or whatever with like other mm. people. But I always just get really, when I get angry, I get very angry at myself and mm. I really kind of like get that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just, I just, get this weird fucking like uh, I, i'm making this sound way more dramatic than it is and i don't want you to call for help for me but like this mm-hmm. like self-annihilation urge that comes up with the rage when it's just like there's just that much of it and it's just like well fuck like get me mm-hmm. out of here like let me just explode then like <laughs> yeah i can relate to that and especially when i was younger too uh, that these 
yeah, these eruptions that would happen, they would, sometimes it would be, you know, like throwing a remote control across the room because I wasn't allowed to watch, right. you know, music videos. And it had, you know, my younger brothers got to watch cartoons and right. that was frustrate me. And, but the frustration would build up for a long period of time before I would actually do that. So it had already been simmering internally right. and I already felt really bad. Right. Um, so, and then when I got yelled at for yelling at them, then it, that would just uh, make me feel even worse. And then I would, I would actually do things to myself. And I will say that like in, when I was 14, 15 years old, I would, um, I would slice my own skin. I would cut myself because I was, I felt all this like hot rage in my body that I didn't know what to do with. Um, and I would try to release it that way. Uh, and I'm not, I, I, I've never really talked about that before because it's, um, it, it's something, I guess, that I didn't even know why I was doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, it, and uh, it just, uh, the annihilation piece, I think, is so heartbreaking in a way because um, if you and I had known when we were younger, like what was causing this, then maybe there could have been some toolkits developed to self-soothe, yep. right? So self-soothing is something I'm still learning now, and I still got... Uh, <laughs> I'll get pretty frustrated out in public spaces these days if anyone comes within 10 feet of me, which is, you know, fair. But even before the pandemic, I was kind of like that, right? Like, give me my space, bitch. Like, I would get really testy at IGA if people were, like, trying to come up my grill. I'd be like, totally. I would deliberately slow down. I was kind of passive-aggressive about it. Like, fuck you. I'm going to take all my time and you just wait. But um, the piece about the the anger and the and the really, really intense emotions that come with this, it's... God, it's it's heart wrenching too because it's like oh I wish I could manage this better yep. but because it's RSD and because it's associated with the ADHD it's not an emotional failing right yeah and, and that's like again I I so so first of all thank you for sharing that your mm-hmm. kind of self harm story and of course you know if you if you don't want that stuff included, please say so. Um, but I'll share my own. So mm. I, I've never kind of got down that road, but um, my version of that when I get really, really fucking angry is I will literally just smash my head into something because mm. I'm just like, I just want, I, I, I don't, I, I want the stuff that's in my brain to stop fucking happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And so like, again, I'm not fucking proud of this, but I've definitely like, put a hole in the drywall before I fucking like, you know, I, I had one this morning and I fucking smashed my head into the Oak table in the basement. And that's why I've got this fucking cut up here. You could probably, oh, Jordan. Just, I, it hasn't, it hasn't happened for literally years. Like it's probably even four or five years. And I just had mm. a real fucking bad couple of days. And like I said, just this really, I, yeah, I just had like a really explosive, emotional release this morning and it was largely mm-hmm. just like you know um like a a long crying jag but then there was mm-hmm. this this anger that just it goes zero to a hundred in the space of like four seconds so so yeah so that's again those are are things that like I always knew about myself and that I always knew like the road rage thing that I was talking about that like okay there's something going on here and you need to fucking keep an eye on this and like try and keep a handle on your emotions. But what I have now is that sympathy to see it through like, okay, this is fucking, this is not great behavior to be engaging in, even if there is quote an excuse or like a reason it's happening, but you don't have to 
take the blame for it either. And I thought actually coming mm. back to something that you were, maybe this was the thing I was trying to remember before um, was your mom saying like, well, if I'm not responsible for this or am I responsible for this? And that mm. was something that I talked about in that first mini sode is that like, you know, this isn't anybody's fucking fault. Like for yeah. better or worse, no one can control this. No one is to blame for this. There is mm-hmm. no one who the buck stops at. It's just something that like, we all got to deal with. So, and, and that's, and that's my way of saying the buck doesn't stop with me either. Like Mm. it does to some degree, but again, I have to have the sympathy for myself of recognizing that I'm predisposed to this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a compassionate way of putting it too. And I think it's really a key part of the healing within families too. Um, to not be finger pointing about it. And um, my mom and I did have a really great conversation Um, on Sunday. She called, she had listened to the episode, Mm, the first episode. And she was like, Oh, that's okay. And I'm like, of course it's okay. But, um, and we talked a bit about that. And, and I explained to her from what I understand from reading people like Gabor Mate. And I think he is, he comes at this whole thing, I think with, a profound amount of compassion mm. and it, it is simply what ended up happening was there was some kind of anxiety in the household and some kind of stress and because we as little beings when we're babies pick up on that and it makes us already on high alert before we're, we're able to express it and so those dopamine receptors aren't developed at a time when they're developing in earnest so mm. kids that are well attuned for whatever reason it's on it's less likely that they'll have ADHD, but if there's any kind of disruption or, and they're sensing even just a little bit of anxiety, um, from their parents, um, can often, um, miss out on that key piece of development. And it sometimes happens again, um, in the teen years and then again in the early twenties. Right. Hmm. So, um, when I explained that to my mom, I think that gave her a sense of relief as well. Um, because yes, that was when my parents were going through a divorce. And so I would have picked up on the stress coming from all sides. Right. And then going to live with, uh, with my dad and then a, a new stepmom who I didn't know would have um, yeah, of course. elevated it. Right. So I think, uh, it's, it's so great that you and I are both having these kinds of conversations with our family too, yeah. because mm-hmm. it's not, there, there is no blame. Right. Yeah. It's just, it, it it's here and thank goodness it's been identified now because <laughs> um, I, I feel like I'm, you know, in terms of how I'm going to be in relationship with, with my family and with other people, with my friends, with my career, with my creative life, it's going to change everything now. It yep. kind of has to, I can't do things the way I used to do. And that's why I've had so many like um, catastrophic burnout things in my life because I would do just what I did on Sunday, right? I'm just going to do all the things. And then I can't figure out why I'm sitting there almost catatonic on a, on a conversation that I should be part of, right? The family part of things, it's funny how much the RSD plays into that. And the stories that I, that I sometimes tell, yep. um, which, you know, how everyone has their own experience within a family, right? And you can be talking about the same event and three people will have three different experiences of it, right? And so I am sort of in a way kind of revisiting some of the narrative that I have about uh, all the different aspects of my family because um, I'm quite sure that if I were to share a story that maybe I had shared with my partner about something that caused me emotional harm and but then I talked to either a half one of my half brothers or my mom or my stepdad about it they would have a completely different perspective right right 
And I think that what this discovery of ADHD is kind of revealing to me is like how many times that maybe, maybe I was reacting from that place. And it doesn't, it doesn't make my feelings any less valid. It just means that they may have been more intense and more debilitating than what an average person or what one of my siblings might've experienced. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's kind of cool to be looking at that stuff now. Right. Are you, how are your conversations going so far around that? Um, good. There's, there's one conversation that I haven't had yet, but I thought was interesting. Um, so geez, when would this have been? Um, well, I was on a plane, so it was clearly over a year ago. Uh, I want to say it was last September, probably August or September, 2019. Um, basically I was, uh, uh, at the airport, um, with my dad, my stepmom and, uh, yeah. So, so it's funny because like, again, this is a perfect example of like just a teasing kind of like fucking with you thing. And just me just taking it the way the wrong way was just mm-hmm. like, I was walking into the bathroom at the airport. And my stepmom was like, George, that's the women's room. And I fucking like, and that, that should be a very funny thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, Hey, you're about to walk into the women's room. And then I like, look at the sign. Like, Hey, that says men. <laughs> like right. you kidder. Yeah. Like yeah. that should be really funny. And that's the way that that would go for most other people. But it was like, I, I am so fucking hyper vigilant about this stuff all the time because there are so many times where I have done things like that because I'm not fucking paying attention to what I'm doing and I'm paying too much attention to what's going on in my head. So when I like go through the process of like double checking that I'm not about to do something wildly embarrassing and like get that validation from my own senses and then get this other input again from someone that I trust that's like, hey, this thing you're about to do is wrong. That that like, again, I should have like had a good laugh about it, but I was fucking Mm. pissed. I was so upset and so pissed. And I don't think I said anything to her for like a half an hour after that. And again, like that, that's something where it's like, look at this fucking baby. (laughs) Like, Mm. like, and this isn't something anyone said to me, but it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. almost 40 years old, gets a little fucking tease and like goes into a big sulking fit about it. But again, that's something where I recognize now that that hurt me an outsized amount because I do devote so much of my brain power to having to sort of like take in that really conscious awareness of what's going on sensorily for me because Mm -hmm. I'm usually so distracted with what's going on in my head. So yeah, so that was just a a kind of funny one of like recognizing that now, but even at the time where I didn't have the ADHD perspective thing for myself, just being like, why the fuck did I take that so personally? Mm. Like, Like why, why did I take that so personally? Because again, that's something where if someone, if I had seen someone do that to someone else that I didn't know, I would have laughed at that as a person sitting in that airport lounge. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's objectively funny, but right. it just devastated me. It was so hurtful. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah, this, I, gosh, I, I don't know if I have any specific recent examples of it, but I, I know it happens so often. Uh, and I will say that my, my old boss used to point it out to me. Mm. So it would it would it usually be around an email because I'm realizing too that emails are trickier terrain awesome. to me than I ever understood. And so when I read an email, 
my mom actually reminded me of this way back in the day when emails were like really, really like starting to take off. She said, it does not matter how well-crafted your email is. The person on the other side is that is going to respond based on whatever mood they're in. Right. And so that still holds true. And so for me being hypervigilant and a little bit nervous about saying the wrong thing yep. or um, at the case of my old job, I felt like I was being saddled a lot with things that weren't necessarily what I should have been spending my time doing. Right. And and that was organizationally why there was always an issue with that. And the marketing department in particular had got, had been through like five different directors in five years and they were it was basically a kiosk right so if you said no to anything then it was not a good thing so I would get these emails with like bullet points of requests to do all this shit and then go to my go to my manager and be like ah right and then she would say uh she would look at the email and go mm, no I, I think actually they just need you to do this and this and I would be like oh shit and then I would sort of you know like go back into my office and feel bad and then sit there and kind of sulk a little bit for the rest of the day because I felt like a I was misreading uh, what the email said and then b I was wrong right just wrong 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 all the sure. time and so yeah I'm, I'm really starting to figure out this whole email piece for me is just it's more of a minefield than I ever understood before and so now I'm trying to just check it once or twice a day and then respond like after I've had a little bit of time to think about it and I don't know if that's the seagulls or sirens. Uh, sirens. sirens. Yeah. We may yeah. have to just pause for a minute that's while they fine. go by. Um, but maybe Zoom will actually filter out that. Who knows? No, um, I can. I can. If it's coming through in my headphones, that means it's coming through on your mic. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the constantly feeling on high alert. And then when somebody just tries to make a joke. I mean, I remember that happened even in journalism school. Oh, sure. Like, you know, we'd all be at the wheel and we were all like editing this newspaper and it was already fun and exciting. And I remember my old roommate at the time, Shelly, she was just joking around about something and she just like bounced a ball against my butt, like just like, haha. And I was yeah. like, I couldn't talk. I had to like leave and go outside and have a cigarette I used to smoke at the time. Because I was so enraged that she violated me when she was just fucking around, right? So yeah, that that kind of like sensitivity. Oof. I think it's actually a good thing in some ways, though. Like, I think our sensitivity can lead to really deep creativity and vulnerability. Um, and I'm not ever going to call that a superpower because it's too painful to call it that. I also, I find that whole, I don't know, the superpower thing, like, I get the empowerment aspect of it. But I also just, I don't know, I feel weird about it. There, there's yeah. a weird us and them kind of thing to it that is part of, and this is something I put in the show ideas thing, part of my reluctance to kind of like necessarily identify with labels like neurodivergent for a long time was not necessarily like an othering thing, but um, yeah, I, I, I guess just trying to, I'd rather emphasize the ways I'm the same, I guess, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that we are all, all connected. Um, and yeah, the, and there's so much language that I'm learning as I get into this too. I think Twitter is teaching me a lot because mm. I I struggle to say that I'm disabled because of the hearing loss. Um, I, I just now being able to say that I'm neurodivergent after you know it's only been a couple months, so it's all very recent. Um, but you know, Twitter is such a great resource uh, for people to say, "Hey, this is actually what it could be," and this is the the real language around it. Uh, it's not a person with a dis disability, it's a disabled person, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, 
And then I didn't realize that TW meant trigger warning. Mm. And so I posted something with a TW in it, like right when I first came back, because I thought that meant Twitter, but it means trigger warning. Oh. Oops. So awkward. Right? So <laughs> that is happening a little bit here and there where I'm like, oh, face palm. Um, yeah. And because there's so much to learn about what's going on with people and like, uh, there was a whole thread yesterday on uh, Black Girl Lost Keys about somebody being super entitled in her DMs and really being mm. aggressive about it and then blaming it on her ADHD. And that's not cool. Like, mm. you don't get to be an asshole because you're neurodivergent. Sorry. Sure. I, that, that just doesn't fly with me. Um, but I'm, I mean, it is interesting to me how many folks will just say, well, I just sort of demand that you give me what I need out of this situation without even developing a relationship or understanding or just doing a simple Google search for crying out loud. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole tangent that I know. I, I think that that's a good tangent to go down though, because that's, <laughs> that actually is something where like, um, and it's interesting because I never thought about that as possibly an ADHD related kind of context thing, but that of course we are more likely to end up in situations like that in the first place because we're such fucking pleasers all the time and need everybody to like us and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then also I feel like the adjunct to that is that we're more likely to kind of let ourselves get walked over and um, mm -hmm. expect this kind of treatment as normal. And that's so mm -hmm. something that's really kind of funny is like I, one of the first times I really had to like, figure out what boundary setting looked like in a relatively impersonal relationship was um, one of my clients from my vintage business, uh, a guy that bought a couple of jackets off me at a thing a number of years ago. And so like, you know, he and I had a good chat and stuff. And like, if I ever come across jackets in your size, will you text me kind of thing? I'm like, Oh yeah, totally. And then, so I started getting these texts uh, the next week. There were just like first kind of just like, you know, little advice questions and things. And I'm like happy to help out because like, oh sure, I'm happy to, you know, fucking give this guy a little bit of styling advice or whatever, cause he's been buying shit off me. So like, great. But then they started to get more frequent and more demanding. And there was one point where I got, I was driving home and I saw my phone light up on the, the seat beside me in my bag. And so I got it out of a red light and it's this guy asking a question. So I'm like, whatever, threw my phone back in my bag and like go home. I'm like, okay, fine. Like I'll, I'll deal with this when I get home. And then I swear to God, like five minutes later, maybe less than that, my fucking phone lit up again with just question mark as like the follow-up text. And I'm like, Oh, no, 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 nobody, nobody gets to fucking send me the like less than five minutes question mark text unless like, it, it, unless it's a you up text, like you're not sending that question mark. No, not, not for like the guy that you buy fucking ties off of. That's ludicrous. So yeah, so that was something where I just like, I just, I feel like shitty about doing it right now uh, or the way I did it now because I recognize that I deal with this stuff badly, partly probably because of the ADHD to some degree. But my tendency is to just be like, fuck you, you're blocked on everything. I don't even want to talk to you. And not necessarily because I'm mad at this person, but just because like, I don't want to have this awkward conversation of like, hey, I have things I want to do with my time for me too. And, you know, can you chill? Like, and that's mm -hmm. really, that shouldn't be that hard of a conversation to have. Like, <laughs> It really shouldn't. Yeah. I think that that is the one thing that, you know, being fused to devices all the time, it really does kind of erode boundaries for people. 
um, and people that wouldn't have good boundaries to begin with. I think it just it kind of amplifies it. Yeah. Mm. And <laughs> I'm even just like trying to figure out on my WordPress comments, like how to just shut all that shit down. Like I was in there <laughs> yesterday because I'm just like half of them are just, you know, they're selling vape pens or yeah. whatever. They're not actually engaging. But even before when some of them were technically like engaging, I would like feel um, if I felt like somebody was like asking too much, like, oh, can you introduce me to this person or whatever? And right. LinkedIn, I think was kind of a weird spot for that mm. for a while for me. And I find I'm not engaging with LinkedIn as much since they changed their interface. Something about it looks too much like Facebook and I just can't cope. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't even um, yeah. have an account until, well, whenever I added you two months ago or something like that. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, I just, I, I can't fucking, I don't want to deal with all that stuff. I'm bad at schmoozing. I'm bad at networking. And that's the problem is that like, I have to get good at that. If I'm going to be self-employed, that's, I have to be confident and sell myself and all that kind of stuff. And so it's a necessary mm-hmm. evil, but it's still, yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel weird uh, trying to like sell myself to people. <laughs> I, I'm in the same boat and somebody told me something a few years ago that helped with that, that it's just really about building relationships. Sure. Uh, and when you look at it through that lens, it does make it harder. I mean, I can't tell you how many networking events I went to in Vancouver, especially when I was working at, um, at Old Boy Productions. And I would go to all these board of trade things, you know, put on my little suit and go to the Hotel Vancouver. And we'd all sit around and have our little bricks of salmon and potatoes or whatever <laughs> for lunch. And I, oh God, and I, and I remember my boss giving me heat about not getting like enough sales out of those. Cause I was, you know, in marketing, but it, it really, it was more of a sales job than marketing, but um, I just wanted to know people, mm. you know, like I, I really just wanted to have chats with people, but I was, you know, getting feedback that I wasn't, you know, collecting enough business cards or whatever. Cause I would see people work in those rooms, like, like mad people, mad men, really like business cards, just like all over the place. Right. And I would get into a conversation with somebody and be in it for half an hour. Mm. Uh, and and sometimes those people, I think, would reach out, right? Or, you know, they would just be somebody that didn't necessarily need video content for their business, but I just found them interesting. And I guess, in you know, in I think in the business world that we're living in now, um, especially if you're, you know, running your own business, a creative business, I think that's more valuable. Oh, absolutely. You People, people like you and I are what they call hyper-connectors because we are just very, very interested in engaging with people and also the pattern recognition aspect makes us very well suited for that in terms of like, oh, you talked about barometric pressure. I know a guy who's interested in weather balloons or something. And like, I should introduce you to, and all that kind of thing, because we're able to not only pull those kinds of like, oh, this is a related area of knowledge, but see the links between disparate areas of knowledge and be like, Mm. well, here's this person who works in this field entirely different from yours, but I bet their background in this would be helpful on the problem that you're solving. And I'll put you two in touch. And that's again, Mm. something where like, I got to figure out how to make money off that shit now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think lots of us are in that point right now. And and the people that I see that are, that are doing fairly well are the ones that are, you know, um, sending out emails, connecting people that they think might, uh, might do good work together. And it's, it's that attitude of service. Right. Um, And I think that that's a good place to be like to be in service, but not be a doormat, you know, and the, um, the quasi Buddhist saying that I used to have up at my old desk was do Mm. no harm, but take no shit. Oh, <laughs> you, you know, it's just like that kind of attitude of like, yes, I'm here to help. But if you are a little more than or if you're taking more than what I have yeah. to freely offer, then we need to 
stop. Right. right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly, it's a crazy time to be trying to make a buck in this world, you know? Um, <laughs> um, and I, yeah, um, that's a conversation maybe for another day, but I know we're kind of coming up to an hour. Do you feel like we talked? Um, we, I feel like we've got lots of material, about the, but I actually wanted mm-hmm. to talk to you about a little bit more about specifically the RSD thing first. Um, so sure. I'm curious if, like, well, now that you're aware of it, so the awareness, um, as with all these other things with ADHD, is like 70% of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I'm curious if you found any kind of coping strategies that you use to uh, deal with this stuff now that you have that awareness. I feel the knowledge of it cre- is creating some space around it. So just knowing about it, you know, like you said, awareness is uh, 70% of it. Um I think the biggest strategy that I have right now is giving myself some time after I've had what I would call even an RSD episode or even just an inkling of it Mm. uh, to uh, take time out and to check in with my body. That was the thing that we didn't get Mm. to talk about with Mm. AJ, which could because I was so tired Um, and to ask like bodily what's going on. Like, am I, am I thirsty? Am I hungry? Um, You know, the whole HALT acronym. No, what is is it? It's from 12-step, I think, but it's, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, mm. halt, stop. Mm. Get, get a drink of water, have something to eat, sit down, have a nap, connect with somebody, whatever you need to do. Um, so it's interesting that, that that's been ingrained in my brain for many years, but I just kind of like pulled it back up again mm. uh, just as we're talking. And I think in general, uh, I've been learning a lot um, from, you know, reading folks on Twitter about that, like, when was the last time you had a glass of water? Are you dehydrated? Because sometimes dehydration can can actually make ADHD symptoms a lot worse. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The sensitivity and like um, feeling really fatigued and um, dizzy, um, those things are really uh, part of it. Uh, so uh, doing that, um, the, the 20 minutes in the morning of just sitting on a cushion and meditating, even if my brain is all over the place and ricocheting, it, it gives me a little bit of space. I've had a few times, even just since discovering this ADHD thing, where the RSD comes up, you know, like how we were talking about in the conversation with AJ, because I was fatigued, I was feeling a little bit like on the outside looking in, even though I was trying to participate. And I could feel that feeling of rejection starting to swell in my body. And I was able to check myself on it. And I think the fact that I I did get um, a good sleep that night and, you know, had a nice meal and everything, uh, that, that definitely helped to put things in perspective. Uh, but yeah, I still feel that just in general in conversation sometimes, you know, and so I don't know, I, I know the meds don't necessarily help with that kind of thing, but it is just about, for me anyway, just like pausing, slowing down, saying, okay, am I, do I have that falling away feeling in my belly? Is something really bad about to happen? Am I yeah. in peril here? Is this like in grade six when the girls that used to have me sit at their seat on the the bus not letting me sit in that seat anymore is that what's happening (laughs) or like you know what I mean because those are the um, limbic responses and I think that could be a really interesting episode to talk even more about that like how when we're in our our limbic response it's a lot more difficult to have like a balanced response to something because we're in fight or flight or fawn do you know about fawn yes Yeah. Okay. So, so I'll do that you, sometimes when I'm freaking out. I'll like. You want to explain fawn though for people who don't maybe know? 
Yeah, so uh, the fawning response happens to, or it sometimes is developed uh, with uh, people that have uh, some kind of post-traumatic stress. Uh, so if you're in a situation where you, you've been in peril at some point in your life, you will overcompensate, you'll be overly accommodating, you'll try to appease the other person and just try to get yourself out of danger. You know, this is a whole other thing, but somebody who has survived domestic abuse, mm-hmm. that was something that I used to do to try to keep myself safe. So when the limbic thing is is happening, sometimes I will do that. Like I'll, you know, be overly complimentary or just, you know, basically just kissing ass because I'm trying to just like not feel yep. that way anymore. Um, so I have to like take it down a little bit so I can get into the prefrontal cortex area where the executive functioning that is so diminished with the ADHD brain. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And it's interesting yeah. too, because the fawn thing, I, it's funny. I don't, I don't see a lot of that in my own behavior, but now I'm definitely recognizing it in how that, that was like where I would normally go to fight or flight in my work situation. It would go to a fawn with my manager sometimes. Mm. Um, cause yeah, cause it's like, that's, that's a more work acceptable thing than <laughs> fighting or flighting. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You just like, how was your weekend? How's your golf score? How was all the things like, you, you know, showing more concern for how their well-being yeah, is exactly. than the actual project. I used to do that all the time. Yeah. And something else I was curious about, do you know anything about like somatic therapy or have you looked into that at all? I have just started with it. Oh, cool. Uh, so um, I'm working with a woman here in Vancouver who that's one of her specialties. And what I can tell you after one treatment is that it's very profound. Yeah. Um, I had the same experience. Um, I did a little bit of it again, before I even knew about the ADHD thing, uh, probably July, no earlier than that, it would have been May or June. And yeah. And just like kind of learning about it and kind of learning about this, like what, what made me think of that was you talking about the limbic system thing and mm. specifically that you brought up what I assume was a true life tale of childhood rejection that you've probably been holding on to for 40 or more years. Mm-hmm. I, I've been doing the same thing. I think I told you before about the walk I went through through my old neighborhood. Mm-hmm. This summer. And yeah, and I'm just like, that's I, I had the same thing right now when you were talking about that of just like remembering the sixth grade of just like going, like walking away and just like my friends that were my best friends from grades one through six, just, we'd get to the opposite sides of the field, walking home in different directions. And they'd just be like, fuck you, Jordan, or whatever. And I just like, (laughs) I hadn't done anything as far as I knew, like nothing had changed in our relationship, but it was just like, yeah, man, like that shit will fuck you up as a kid, period. And then I think mm. as a kid with RSD that doesn't know they have RSD, like clearly we are still walking around holding on to this shit from decades ago. Like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah like that. And yeah, my counselor reminded me of that because I, we had only been on our call 10 minutes and I dissolved into like weeping and, and, and it's grief, right? Yeah. Um, it's grief that's been stored in my body for a long time. It's uh, stress and anxiety that has been building up for many years. And and this is the other piece of ADHD too, is that we'll often rush on to the next thing when we're uncomfortable. And so she caught me in that a couple different times in the mm. conversation. So I was like, okay, tissue on now. Let's come up with our strategy for how I'm going to move forward and be a lady boss or whatever. And she was like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You're not done crying yet. Like you, you still need to this. like, you need to feel this. You need to tell me where you're feeling it in your body. You need to like 
like just feel the waves and feel the intensity. You know, so far I can say I definitely recommend it as a therapy for somebody uh, who needs to kind of get out of the brain into the body again, because, um, you know, lots of mindfulness practitioners speak to that, but I think it's incredibly powerful, especially if you're, you're having difficulty processing things. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, that's, what's interesting about it is that, you know, it encourages you to, process in a way that completely bypasses the conscious mind um, by kind of like situating you in your body and putting you physically back in the situation where you were when that trauma occurred. It's fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I wanted to say that my one of my own kind of things about dealing with uh, RSD is I actually take a bit of an opposite tack from what you do, because from how you described it, it sounds like when you're feeling that way, you kind of... Um, take some time to yourself and take the time to like reevaluate, okay, is this a valid reaction that I'm having or is this RSD? Mm. Um, And for me, once I get down that spiral, it's really tough for me to get out of it. So right now what I've been taking to doing is if there's room for, I, I know about myself that if there's room for interpretation in a statement, I will take the negative one. I will take the least mm. flattering interpretation of whatever that person said. And so what I've started doing right now uh, in my relationships with my family, with my partner, all these other things is just being like, okay, so when you said X, I understood that to mean Y. And I want to know mm. if you meant Y or Z, because you mm. probably meant Z and I'm probably just like predisposed to think you meant Y. Is that mm. what's going on right here? And just, again, that's difficult for me to be able to ask these kinds of like frank questions about how people are communicating because mm. we're also used to playing this weird kind of Mott and Bailey with our communication of like veiling what we actually want in this like other thing and kind of like mm. neg- unspoken requests. (laughs) So just actually kind of getting all that stuff forward is just, I'm finding really helpful. So yeah, the the asking for clarity piece is so important. Um, And it's hard to do that when you're actually in an RSD spiral, right? Um, And that's something I I definitely am working on as well. on all levels right you know like even when you and I like realized like oh I was so tired the other day and like I wasn't like responding as you know I wasn't as quick on the draw and stuff um that that we were both like are you okay no are you okay and like you know just like asking for that clarity like hey we're was there something going on there and and I think that that uh is one of the joys of us working together is that we're able to do that uh because in the past I think there's been many different projects creative situations where I've literally just run for the hills because I felt like shit and I was embarrassed and nothing had happened and he'll be like what happened to Robbie well, I don't know. We're up to Rafi, you know, like I'm outside crying and nobody knows why, you know, it's just, yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's really healthy to talk about this stuff and, you know, take action on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks for listening today. If you have an experience or an adventure or a discovery of ADHD you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Uh, so if you go to anchor.fm, holy shit, I have ADHD, and there's a message button there, and that way you can leave a voicemail for us. You don't have to uh, take the effort of writing an email if you don't want to, or if you prefer to write an email, there's also that way of doing it as well. And you can email us at our special email address of holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com. I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lane. See you soon.